0: Pastor Xavier Reese encourages that we seek divine revelation over our limited perspective.
1: You ever look through an eye hole? You look in the backyard, you look in the eye hole, and you just see, see one part. And you don't know how it fits in the whole backyard. You got to look over the fence and say, oh, that's where it's at. A lot of people live through knot hole theology and they freak out. Get your stinking head over the fence. Then it'll make sense what's over the fence. Know the whole counsel of God Genesis to Revelation. So when you're looking through the hole, you know where it fits.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When God offered the children of Israel the promised land, He did just that, promised them the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey. But with impatience abounding in the wilderness, unbelief was becoming the prevailing attitude to the point of sinful behavior. Pastor Xavier delivers today's Simple Truth Study with a good reminder of how we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Let's listen.
1: Numbers chapter 13, I've entitled the message, The Sin of Unbelief. The sin of unbelief is not just refusing to believe God's Word, but failing to trust what He has promised to do or able to do. As when I... Come to grips with what God is dealing in my life or circumstance, whatever it may be, and I know what God is telling me. I know what His Word says, but I am not yielding, trusting, opening my heart for God to do that work. That's what unbelief is. This was the sin of the children of Israel, which brought, really, they brought upon themselves a life of leanness to their souls and a life of wonder in the wilderness, and to experience the longest death march they have ever experienced. For 38 years, their carcasses fell. All above the age of 20 years died, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. All others died. Faith and doubt has been expressed like this. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the dark night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers, I. And there's the contrast. There are many things within the Scriptures about unbelief and the sin of unbelief, but there's more. we want to confine ourselves to chapter 13 of the book of Numbers and observe six things about the sin of unbelief. Let me give them to you right up front, and then we're going to take one at a time. First of all, unbelief does not believe God's Word by faith, but seeks to verify it by sight. Verses 1 and 2. Secondly, unbelief does not accept the evidence of God, but ignores the evidence. Verse 23. Thirdly, unbelief does not deny the promises of God, but reasons them away. Verses 27 through 29. Fourthly, unbelief does not reside in the minority, but in the majority. Verse 30. Fifth, unbelief does not encourage God's people, but discourages them. Verse 31. And sixth and last, unbelief does not see accurately, but distortedly. Verses 32 and 33. Let's look at the first, and we'll take one at a time. Unbelief does not believe God's word by faith, but seeks to verify it by sight. Verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I have given to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone, a leader among them. Notice the text tells us that God commanded Moses to send out the men to spy out the land. Verse 1 and the first portion of verse 2. Yet the book of Deuteronomy tells us that the people were the ones who requested the search party. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. So that's why it's important that you study the whole of Scripture. Because if all you studied was numbers, you would conclude that it was God who sent them into the land to spy it out. But as I learn and study the whole of the Scriptures, then I realize there are other aspects which supplement that very event. And I get a whole picture. And so it's important that you and I study the whole of Scripture, even as Paul told the Ephesian elders that you know he gave them the whole counsel of God. He didn't hold back anything. And for that reason, I take you verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and I take you through the whole Bible. So that when I stand before God, I will be blameless about giving you the full counsel of God. And when I teach you the Word of God, that's why we go in such detail give you cross-references, because I want to give you the whole picture of it. And then you are to verify it when you go home. And learn from it. That's what it's all about. The book of Deuteronomy also records that the man Moses was pleased in his request. Chapter 1, verse 23. And so as we look at those, those books, we realize that God allowed something He never willed. Now that kind of almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? There's, when you look at God's will, there's two aspects of God's will, and we'll see this as we move on. Number one, God's perfect will. The absolute will that will be done, nobody can thwart the purposes of God. God's second coming is going to happen, no matter what. Amen. And there's things that are going to happen. But there's some things that are God's will for your life, and my life that will never happen because of our unbelief. And they do not alter the ultimate purpose of God. Now, notice also the text tells us that God was giving them the land. Very straightforward. The land was promised to Abraham and described in boundaries in Genesis 15, 18-21. through 21. And as you study the Old Testament, you see that the revelation is progressive. God keeps expanding it. But he promised Abraham the land, gave him the boundaries, defined the boundaries. But he also told Moses, when he sent him in to deliver the children of Israel, that he would give them the land in Exodus 3.17. And so he continues to rehearse, to repeat, to remind them that the land. And you will notice this as you study the Old Testament. The land and the people are always tied together. The land and people go together. People are arguing today, Whose land is the land of Palestine? Is it the PLO's? Is it Israel's? Well, my Bible tells me that Israel holds the the title deed, the Bible, to the land. The Bible is the title deed. God says the land belongs to them. I gave it to them. And I tell you what, I'm not going to argue with God. (laughs) You try to repossess God's land, you're going to be in trouble. The people were warned not to follow the practices of the land of Canaan, where God was going to bring them into, Leviticus 18.3. It was assumed, he was already saying, hey, you're going to be in there. Now when you get in there, don't do this, don't do that, do this. The land was theirs. And yet how sad that in spite of that, they never occupy what God had given to them. What a picture of many individuals today. You and I, in every area of our life, at one time or another, we fall short of this. There's no one perfect. There's some things that are gone, and they'll never come back again. The opportunities are lost. But notice also, the Word of God was not being believed by faith, but was sought to be verified by sight. The twelve were chosen, one from each tribe, verse 3 through 16. The objective was to survey the land in three ways. You get that from verses 18 through 20. First, the strength of the people. Second, the strength of the cities. Thirdly, the strength of the land to produce. Three things that we're going to look out for. But if you look at the record and you look at what God had said, the procedure, the entire procedure was unnecessary because none of these things mattered. Why? Because God had already proclaimed it was theirs. Oh, what a picture of us sometimes when God has promised and proclaimed certain things and we continue to dwell in unbelief and we do not possess what God has given to us. You don't have to check up on God. When God says your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. They're cast as far as east as the west. Buried in the deepest ocean. You don't have to sit there and condemn yourself. You don't have to sit there and try to talk yourself into saying they're gone. They're gone. And what a waste of time that you continue to go over them. A waste of joy, a waste of vision, a waste of everything. And it happens. And so you need to trust God for what He has declared to you. You see, unbelief does not believe God's Word by faith, but seeks to verify it by sight. Something tangible. Something tangible. There's something innate about us. It is our bent. But notice, secondly, in verse 23. Unbelief does not accept the evidence of God, but ignores the evidence. He says, then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranate and figs. Notice first that they saw with their own eyes the fertile and abundant land at the valley of Eshko, which means cluster. They were present then, they saw it. The rest were not there, but they were there as representatives to see what was in the land. They cut it down, a cluster of graves, and they carried it between two poles because it was so big. You can imagine a big cluster of graves between two poles. Good size. You know what's interesting? The, the, the emblem for the tourism of Israel is exactly that. The pole with the graves hang with two men carrying it. <laughs> How interesting. Notice they also took some pomegranates back and figs. The three fruits would be used by God for Israel's privilege within the Scriptures to refer to Israel. The vineyard is used to portray the nation of Israel's rebellion And unbelief, Isaiah 5, Mark 12, parable of the vineyard. Isaiah 5, God says, you know, I, I hedged it, I watered it, I did everything, and before I knew it, wild grapes sprung up. Pay attention to that. He says, I watered it, I walled it, I fertilized it, I did everything I could, and yet, wild grapes came forth. God can do everything for you, and has done everything for you, but in spite of what all God has done, you can still bring forth wild grapes. Why? Because of free will. And there's the mystery, once again, that we run into predestination, free will. God's part, man's part. It's not a New Testament problem. It's throughout the Scriptures. And it's no problem with God. It's only a problem with us. (laughs) Yes, I can fall short of what God has because of unbelief. Even though God has done everything. The fig tree, symbolic of the nation of Israel, Jesus cursed the fig tree, symbolic of the nation, that was fruitless and in unbelief in Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Pretty leaves, no figs. A lot of people have a lot of appearance outside, but there's no real lasting fruit. The third fruit, the pomegranate, was on the hem of the high priest of the robe of the ephod. You had a bell and a pomegranate. A bell and a pomegranate all the way around. And so when he went into the holy place to do the service in the most holy once a year, they would tie a rope to his ankle. He would go in and as long as he was doing the service of of the tabernacle and God was pleased with him and he didn't have sin, then the bells would be ringing. As long as the bells were ringing, you knew everything was okay. But, If God struck him dead, there was no more bells. They dragged him out. And so, every one of these fruits were used by God regarding the privileges of Israel. The pomegranate spoke of fruitfulness from entering the presence of God. And yet, these are the evidence they took back, and these are the evidence they denied. Having seen them, having taken them, having brought them back, they denied what they were doing, what they were seeing. Unbelief does not accept the evidence of God, but ignores the evidence. How I've seen this throughout my life in Christ in the last 20 years. People who God has done such a tremendous work, and they deny what God has done, and they throw it all away. God does a tremendous work, and they get to a place in their life, a crisis, some kind of disappointment, and they throw it all away. You remember Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther? He had everything except one thing. This one short little Jew would not bow down to him. It killed him. And he was willing to throw it all away because of that one thing. What a picture of many Christians. God has done so much in everything. And there's one thing, and they want to throw it all away. Hmm. Unbelief does not accept the evidence of God, but ignores the evidence of God. Thirdly, unbelief does not deny the promises of God, but reasons them away. Verses 27 through 29. Then they told him and said, We went to the land, these are the ten, to Moses, where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, oh, nasty word. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites dwell on the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Notice first, they acknowledged that the land had an abundance of food. They said, it truly flows with milk and honey. Secondly, they objected by their subjective observation. The people who dwelt in the land are what? Strong. The cities were what? Fortified and large. Very large. Third, the descendants of Anak were there, the giants. What they saw was fact. God never tells us to look at fact and say, it's not fact. God asks you and I to live in reality. Men and women of faith live in reality. People in the world do not live in reality. They're always chasing their ideal and their dream. Therefore, they're never committed because they'll never find it. It doesn't exist. And if you're looking for the perfect church, I hope you find it. But if you do, I warn you don't join it, you'll ruin it. It doesn't exist. Notice objective truth became distorted by subjective interpretation. They see all this negative stuff and it affects how they read everything. How do you look at things? Do you look and see the glass half empty or half full? Do you see God's hand or do you have a pity party? Notice, thirdly, they saw themselves surrounded by the enemy. In verse 29, the Amalekites in the south, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites on the mountains, the Canaanites by the sea, and along the bank of the Jordan. They didn't have any hope. They didn't see any way out. This is all they saw. This Now, in the backdrop, God has said, I've given you the land. God has taken them out of the Exodus. He's brought them through. He's wiped out the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. He's provided flesh in the wilderness. He's done all this stuff. He's judged them. He's plagued them. I mean, he's done everything. And yet, all they're seeing is this little perspective. You know what they're doing? They're looking it through a knothole. hole. You ever look through a knothole, hole? You look in the backyard, you look in the hole, and you just see, see one part, and you don't know how it fits in the whole backyard. You've got to look over the fence and say, Oh, that's where it's at. A lot of people live through knothole theology. And they freak out. Get your stinking head over the fence. (laughs) Then look at the knothole. Then it'll make sense. What's over the fence? Reading Genesis to Revelation. Know the whole counsel of God. So when you come to the part and you're looking through the hole, you know where it fits. There's no freak out. There's no fear. And when God comes to you and tells you something, the Word of God comes alive to you. Because you know the Word of God. Unbelief does not deny the promises of God, but it reasons them away, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I know God has promised, but, you know, you don't understand. This circumstance is, is, is very delicate. It's, it's different. It's unique. Really? Oh, I know God can do this, but, I mean, you know, I, 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 I can't wait. I know that God says He'll bring me a mate, but, you know, I'm getting on in years, and, you know I, I, you know, I can't wait. And it reasons everything away. Oh, I know the Lord says I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked, and, you know, I know He's coming, but, you know, I, I, I just know how far to go, and, and, you know, I'm not really out there doing a lot of bad stuff. I'm just kind of, you know, out there, and, you know, and by the way, I'm witnessing to my friends and reasoning away. unbelief. Fourthly, unbelief does not reside in the minority, but in the majority. This might surprise you. It shouldn't. We see it all the time as we go through the Scriptures. Verse 30. He says, Then Caleb, as he heard the report of these ten, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and says, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able or well able to overcome it. There's a man of faith. The man Caleb was a man of faith and he quieted the people before Moses as a faithful witness. He reported exactly what he saw, but what he saw, he saw through the promises of God. There's the difference. The primary responsibility of a witness is to testify what he or she has seen. The caution for a witness is that he or she Make sure that they are not intimidated by anybody regarding the information or to alter the truth which they possess. They must be witness to what they have seen accurately, faithfully. Notice, secondly, the man Caleb was a man of action because he trusted God. He encouraged the people to seize the land immediately. Let us go up at once. We are well able to take possession of it. No hesitation. He saw what God could do in Egypt. He saw what God had done from Egypt to this point. His God had not changed. He knew what God had declared. The obstacles were there. The giants were there. The strong cities were there. But Caleb knew that God was going before them. And therefore, nothing mattered. He declared that they were well able to overcome it because he believed God in His Word by faith. Not by sight, not by emotions, not by reasoning, but by faith. Let me give you a picture of this man 40 years from this day, or actually about 38. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 10 uh, on down, Caleb is here. They've entered the promised land. And here he's telling Joshua, verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am, 85 years old. (laughs) 85. Now listen to what this man says. He's not lying. He's not speaking evangelistically. Uh, He's telling the truth. Listen. Listen. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Quite a statement. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakins were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said." And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb and the sons of Jephna as an inheritance. There's the same man. Forty years later, his faith did not waver. He did not become impatient. He didn't become despondent because of disappointment. He kept believing God. He knew God had promised he would enter in. For 40 years, he endured hardship, difficulty, obstacles, disappointment. Here he is. Forty-some years later, he's the same man as when God gave the land, the man of faith. Don't look to Joshua. Don't look to Caleb themselves. Look to God working in them. It is God in them. There's a difference. Too often we forget the common denominator of God and we look to the person himself. We look at a man that God is using and we say, oh, look what he's done. Look how good he is. Look at this and that. It's not the man. It's God working through the man and the glory goes to God. And unless we understand that, then we'll always put our faith on the wrong place. We must put it upon God.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrating with the 10 spies of Numbers 13, how unbelief overlooks the promises and power of God while magnifying every danger and difficulty. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sin of Unbelief. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Sin of Unbelief, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com